Hey friends, Pastor Marco here. First of all, thank you for listening to the weekly podcast. I want to um, encourage you to do something. If you listen to us from a different state or a different country and you love the church and you want to be more connected to it, we are now opening it up for people to host new life communities from where they are. And if you're interested in being one of those people that can uh, host a watch party of our services where you can invite your friends, your loved ones, your co-workers, your neighbors or whatnot to come and be a part of it, uh, email us at info at newlifesouthcoast.com because we want to be able to have pockets of new life communities all over the nation and all over the world. So if you're interested, get back to us. Uh, we would love to connect with you. Also, if you're closer and you can be in the physical building, our services now are at 9.15 and 11 a.m. at our New Bedford location and 11 a.m. at our Forever location. The best way to stay connected is by downloading our church app. Go to the browser um, and just type in New Life South Coast and our app will pop up on Apple or whatever else that you use for you to stay connected. I pray that today's message, as usual, will encourage you, challenge you, and, and bless your walk with the Lord. But if you have your Bible, our Bible reading is coming from Luke chapter 14, the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. And before we read, I want to say hi to Forever. I want to say hi to our friends online. 14 verse 25, these are Jesus' words. We're going to talk about counting the cost of going the distance. Amen. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, I need you to highlight that word, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. I want you to highlight that. Count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone will laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Can you say amen? So we're going to talk about, if we're going to go the distance, this has been the, the heart behind this series, is we want to be people who go the distance. We don't want to be people who are a flash in a pan. We don't want to be spiritual vanilla ice. Right, we want to have more than one hit wonder, right? We want to go to distance as believers. We want our marriages to go to distance. We want our kids to go to distance. Like, we want to be people who go to distance. We don't want to just be here for a season and then gone tomorrow. Can you say amen? And so, my friends, you will see a pattern when you study the gospel, when you read the gospel, either, either, either one of them, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels, who tells us about the story of Jesus and how he, how he lived and, and, what he, and what he thought and, and, and how he died and how he rose again and, and how he started and birthed the church. When you study the Gospel, you'll find a pattern in the teachings of Jesus where the biggest the crowd, the toughest the message. And I encourage you to go home and look it up for yourself, that usually 
when you see a massive crowd, Jesus has a tendency to be a little bit more strong on his message. And there's a reason for that, because Jesus wants to know if you are just in a crowd or are you a follower of him. Because we know, my friends, not everybody that gathers is, is a disciple. Today, all over the world, people are gathering, and I believe the Spirit of God is the one in the middle challenging people to not just be in the crowd, but to be followers of Jesus. You see, Jesus was never into crowds. He's into disciples. Right? And another reason why Jesus has these challenging messages in the middle of these big crowds is that usually the bigger the crowd comes out of a place of a miracle. Usually when Jesus performs a miracle, like for example, when he fed over 5,000 people with just two loaves of bread and two fishes, there were more people that gather after that because it's like, man, something spectacular just happened and I want to know more about this Jesus. And so sometimes a crowd could just be part of a hype. So Jesus comes to cut through the hype and say, okay, are you here because you heard something spectacular happen or are you here to really follow me? Come on, are you tracking with me? There's a difference. And the truth is, we all come for a specific reason. We come because someone invited us. We come because we're broken. We come because we feel like, man, there might be something here for me. The truth is, we all come from a certain place, and that's okay. But at some point, Jesus is going to challenge you with, why are you here, though? Are you here because you just want something out of me, or you want to be with me? There's a difference, right? Like, you can all tell when someone comes around you when they need something from you. Or when they really want to be with you. Right? We all know that phone call. That starts with, hey, cuz. And you're like, how much you need? Right? So Jesus is not into this thing just for, uh, for him to say, oh, look, I got a crowd. He's into it to say, like, how many in the crowd are actually going to be my students? or my disciples, or my apprentice, because Jesus is in this thing for the long term. He's not in this thing just for a season. Are you tracking? Deeper than that, Jesus separates pretenders from followers. This is where it gets a little bumpy, right? Because we all have at some point have to ask the question, am I a pretender or am I a follower? And before we answer that question, I, I hope this message can help to unpack a little bit the difference between someone who's in the crowd versus someone who's actually following Jesus. So once in a while, Jesus likes to shock the system. It's funny because I heard, I heard people say sometimes, Jesus, we're so loving, he would never offend anybody. It's like, man, you never read the Bible. Because <laughs> clearly this is offensive. <laughs> right? maybe, you, maybe you never came face to face with the Gospels. Because I think sometimes we think Jesus was like this really cool hippie dude. Who is like, man, whatever, dude, whatever happens, happens, you know what I'm saying? Peace and love. <laughs> you know, oh, when I hear people say, my Jesus would never, I'm like, yeah, you're Jesus. The one you created in your mind. The one who agrees with you, who loves you no matter what. You didn't do anything wrong. The one that you created, but not the one that will put, you know, a test in your face to say, hey, are you going to really follow me or are you going to pretend you're following me? So he offends on purpose because he wants to know, 
hey, are we, are we for real? Right? And he uses a strong word. He used the word hate. We tell our children, don't use the word hate. But then they're going to read the Bible like, but Jesus used it. <laughs> right? But did you catch the key word there? He says in comparison. Meaning, Jesus is saying, listen, listen, your devotion to me has to be so undeniable that it's going to feel like you're hating other people. Because the reality is, not everybody is going to be fully devoted to Jesus. And they're going to question your devotion to him. And it's going to feel like you're hating on them. But the truth is, he's not asking you to hate anybody. He's saying, the way you are, your allegiance to me might seem like you're hating Notice the word comparison, in comparison. It's like, man, you're, are you so devoted to me that other people are going to be like, what is wrong with you? And usually, let's be real, it starts with family members. Jesus himself went through it. Jesus had brothers and sisters. I'm sorry, the Catholic Church lied to you. <laughs> you read your Bible, it's there. Okay, Mary was in virgin forever. It's just the truth. You can't have babies. Okay, all right. But Jesus had brothers and sisters who actually thought he was a little cuckoo. They thought he was a little crazy. And they even told him, they're like, ah, you're a little weird. Why don't you, like, take that thing over there. Take that little preaching thing over there. Right? Because not everybody's going to understand your devotion to God. And so at some point, it's going to come face to face with, it's going to clash. And so Jesus is saying, listen, it feels like, man, if you're not devoted to me, at some point, it's going to clash with the people that are closest to you. And there's nothing more challenging than family members. So what does Jesus do with his family? He's like, Word, all right, then I'm going to go over here. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep doing my thing. And it wasn't until after the resurrection that some of his brothers were like, oh, wow, he was really the son of God. He really was who he says he was. So in other words, you have to keep your allegiance to God and let chips fall where they may because God is the one that you have to be accountable to and not the people <laughs> around you. I mean, let's be honest. We all have been there when people are like, He's taking this church thing a little too serious. Do you have to be there every single time? I mean, I like God, but you, you're on another level. And what's interesting to me, like, it's easy to take that from the world because you don't expect anything from the world. They don't get it. But sometimes it's people in the church. Right? Some people in the church are in the crowd, but they're not followers of Jesus. And so they come in, they're like, yeah, I don't have to, like, be like that. I mean, you have to be all. <laughs> I, I just come to. Dip my toe. That's all I need. I'm good right here. You know, good right here. Yeah. You know, I don't have to go here. I can go here. Uh, some people do the Nemo. I call it the Nemo fin. It's like, just, right here. just not ready to go here yet. Not ready to go there yet. Right? But you, you know, and then, and then the reality is this. Then I always say this, like, well, you get what you expect. You get what you expect. And so if you expect to just do a little dipping, then expect a little dipping of a blessing. But don't get mad at the people who go all in and jump in the deep and get blessed. Because faith and expectation go hand in hand. People are, I'm just going to church just, you know, it's Sunday. It's like, all right, then that's all you're going to get. Because faith and expectation goes hand in hand. And so Jesus is, is actually, to be honest with you, he's raising 
our expectations. He's not hating. He's actually raising our expectations. The reason why anytime someone challenges us in our society, we feel like it's hating because we don't want to be challenged. So the moment someone challenges you, it's like, why are you hating? It's like, wait, if I want more for you and I'm saying we can go at a higher level, how is that hating? That's actually elevating. I'm trying to push you higher to where you can go. Right? So he said in comparison, in other words, he says, your devotion to me should be so real that it might seem like to other people that you're hating. That's powerful. Right? And can we, can we stand that test? Because it is a test. When people are questioning your devotion, can you stand the test of that test to say, no, listen, I am following Jesus. Come, come hell or high water. My devotion to him is more important than anything else. I've been in this long enough that I've seen a lot of people drop. Close friends have dropped. My, my, my allegiance is not to friends. My allegiance is to Jesus. And I'll do my best to help my friends, but I'm not stopping for anybody because it's too precious. It's too important for me to stop by the side if you don't want to keep pushing. So Jesus says, hey, you want to come after me? You might want to pick up your cross. Now, a little understanding of the cross it's not what we think about it today. Today we think it's a piece of jewelry, it's, it's bling, it's fashionable, it's beautiful. But in Jesus' day, it's actually a symbol of death. It's, it was actually the death penalty. That's how Romans killed people, crucified people by the hundreds. People would get crucified everywhere. So when he says, pick up your cross, people could see crosses everywhere. And they knew what, they, what, he, what, what he meant. They meant like, man, are you willing to go all the way? And he's not just talking all the way as far as, like, can you, can you die on a physical cross? He's saying, no, can you die to yourself? Because this whole thing about following Jesus is about dying to self so you can come alive in him and his purpose. See, I, I hope you understand this. Christianity was never about, you know, I'm a bad person and I'm going to become a good person. That's not the point of Christianity. The point is that you are dead. You need to come alive. And you don't come alive unless you die to yourself. So they would understand very, very clearly, like, man, he's saying, like, man, are we willing to go all the way? Because here's one that's very hard to teach. This is very hard to teach. But if, for those who can hear this in the spirit, this, this, this is a game changer. The game changer is this. Self-denial is actually your path to freedom. And that's hard to compute. Why? Because the world says, no, it's embracing yourself and doing you. That's the path to freedom. If that's true, then why are we not free? So what Jesus is doing here, he's not hating. He's elevating our understanding to say, hey, are you willing to go through the process of self-denial because we live out of selfishness? But I want to teach you how to live out of selflessness. That's why it's easier to be in the crowd than to be a disciple. Because I could be in the crowd. I can use God as opposed to God use me. Oh, y'all didn't hear that. Like, that's the difference between a crowd and a disciple. The crowd says, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm all about. Listen, God, bless me. And God's like, well, you never check with me what I want to bless. You ever see people get mad at God for God not doing what they wanted them to do, but they never checked with God to see if that's what God is asking them to do? <laughs> and we get mad with like, it doesn't, it, it's not real. God's not real. Why? Because I pray this and it didn't happen. It's like, well, would Jesus even pray, not my will be done, but your will be done? Like, can you die to your own self to embrace God's will for your life? Because that's the difference. Even the Son of God got rejected for greater good. 
that's the thing, though. If we don't understand what self-denial is, we think God is just hating and God is holding out on us and God is not for us. Well, God's actually saying, no, I'm actually, I'm very for you. But the, the, the path to freedom is, to self, is self-denial first. That's why he says, if any man wants to come after me, he must first deny himself. He's saying, this, are you able to allow me to refine your desires? That's a deep word right there. Because it comes down to desires. It comes down to what is it that I really want in life. Because to deny self is to deny the old me so I can embrace the new me. Because our sinful desires are contrary to God's will. My friends, when you are born again, your desires change. And if they haven't changed, then you haven't crossed over from the crowd to a disciple. Think about it. Right? Think about it. If the only difference between you and someone who is not in church is the fact that you go to a building on a Sunday morning, then what is the difference? Like, like if you go to work and you guys are exactly the same, you talk the same, you act the same, you believe the same stuff, and on Sunday, he's like, man, I'm going to IHOP. You're like, I'm going to church. He's like, cool, I'll be full. What is the difference? This is why Jesus is challenging us. He's saying, no, 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 why are you really here? Because if you're truly with me, your desires will shift. Like to me, that's the test of a disciple is your desires. It's not just your attendance. Right? So, so my friends, desire is how I actually know that I'm following Jesus. If, you, if you're like, man, I don't know, man. Am I in a crowd? Am I following Jesus? Let me help you. Look. Your renewed desires is what says that I am actually following Jesus. Listen, I want to please God above all things. It's not even like, listen, I know Christianity is challenging, but it's not even that hard when your desires have been renewed. There's a difference. I think there's a difference between grinding and striving. And it comes down to your desires. Right? If all the time he's like, oh, this is so hard, this is so hard, you understand, you have to so hard. It's like, yeah, but have your desires been shifted? Think about it, right? It's like the difference between a relationship that is prospering and a relationship that is kind of like lacking is, oh, it's so hard to love her, man. You have no idea. It's so hard. <laughs> You'd be like, are you okay? Right? Because when you're in love, your desires are different. It doesn't mean we don't have moments, but the, the, the deeper motive of our heart is, man, I, I just want to please God. I remember being 20 years old. I could tell you what my desires were. It was very easy. It was very easy to tell you. It's playing sports and having a good time. And then Jesus showed up, and that changed. And then my friends started saying, like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, no, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I remember a woman that worked with my mom. She was worried about me because she was like, wait. He's so young. He's going to go to ministry. She was actually worried about me. The world could be so blind in thinking that they know what actually life is about. (laughs) Are you okay? You in the deep end. Are you okay? There's a clear desire to abandon your past and reset your priorities. It's clear. Like, no one has to tell you that. Like, I knew when Jesus got a hold of me, 
No one had to tell me something has shifted. Now I had to grow into it, but I knew I'm not going to be the same person again. I just knew. I still remember that day sitting in that cabin in this retreat that I went to for all the wrong reasons. And God got a hold of me. And I'm sitting there going, "Uh uh-oh, I am not going back the same. How am I going to tell my boys this? And then the Holy Spirit begins to teach you, this is what that renewed desire looks like. This is what I'm doing in your life. And those who don't have that won't understand it. That's why it's going to feel like you're hating. Are you tracking? Right? So this is where the rubber meets the road. My desires. I want to please God above all things. Think about it. This is where people get so jammed up when it comes to giving. It's like, are you God or there's a God? But if you don't believe that there's a God who provides for you, then guess what? You're the God of yourself. You have to understand the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is self. I'm on. That's why people get so uncomfortable and they feel so out of place. And, they, and then you get mad because they're like, all you want is my money. It's like, yeah, but if you had a renewed desire, you understand all your money belongs to God. <laughs> you would understand that. But because you don't have a renewed mind, then you won't understand this. It's going to clash against the will of God. That's why he says, hey, are you in the crowd or are you really my follower? Are you tracking? So he says, listen, you got to be willing to count the cost because here's the reality. This is why this message is so challenging. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years, by the way. This is not a new message, right? Is this, is that salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we stop there, but we don't keep reading. But he says, but the world loves darkness more than it loves light. So this is where it gets interesting. Because everybody wants to be saved, but no one wants to die. I've never met anyone who doesn't want to go to heaven. But no one wants to die. (laughs) You notice that? And I don't mean just dying physically, but dying to yourself. To say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm willing to pick up my cross and follow you. That's the cost of a disciple. That's why it's so much easier to be in the crowd than to actually be a disciple. That's why every time Jesus preached this message, go read the rest. People be like, man, I, I'm out. I just came to dip. <laughs> I didn't get to dive. <laughs> you know. And then, and then when we hear, good for you for diving, man. It's just not for me. So what is for you? What is the alternative? (laughs) Think about that. Right? The counter to cost to me is to realize that I am limited in my resources. So if I'm going to tap into him, then he's going to empower me to do the things I need to do. So this is actually, it sounds like a, it's almost like a paradox. Because, like, you have to die to live. It sounds like a paradox. Like, how do you die and live? Well, you die, you live. <laughs> right? How do you deny yourself but get everything? Well, you deny yourself, you get everything. Right? And so it, the kingdom of God is reversed. Right? It's like, man, how you want to be great? Well, be a servant. Or you, you want to be first, be last. Right? The kingdom of God is, 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 is what the great theologian says. You can't have two number ones. That makes 11. Ricky Bobby, shake and bake. <laughs> When the Holy Spirit is with you, you see him in everything. Even watching Talladega Nights, you'll see, oh, yeah, you can't have two number ones. That's 11. That's why something's got to give. 
Okay. <laughs> so think about it. Now, here's the outcome. The outcome is this, my friends. If there's no counting the cost, then you're building something halfway. And Jesus paints the picture of that. He says, listen, if you don't count the cost, you're like the person who started building a house and you didn't finish. I'm Cape Verde. In Cape Verde, 90% of homes are like that. <laughs> like, like, there's nothing like, yeah, listen, third world countries, we love to start things. We just can't finish them. There's nothing like that first. Everybody loves the photo op. Right? You know, that first, you know, politicians love that. But then you check on that building two years from, it's like, yo, we're still in the foundation stage. What happened? What happened? The saddest thing is, is when you realize, wow, that's actually what happens to a lot of people. People come to church, get excited. Two years later, you're like, what happened? What happened? You ever go to church and go, whatever happened to that guy? Remember that guy? He was so excited, man. He used to love Jesus and he lived his Two years later, it's like, what happened? That guy didn't count the cost. Nothing worse than a halfway marriage. Honeymoon. <laughs> Nowadays, it doesn't even start with the honeymoon. It starts with the pre, pre, pre-engagement Photoshop. And then there's the engagement one. And then there's before we get married, engagement Photoshop. And then we get married, and we have more pictures. And then it's like, what happened, though, five years later? Halfway marriages. Living in the same house, but just coexisting. You stop building. Anybody can have kids, but what happened to being parents? What, what happened? All right. Dudes are like, I got three kids. Well, you have three kids, but are you a father? Well, my father wasn't there. But more the reason for you to be there, because you know what happens. <laughs> Halfway ministries, start something excited. And then three years, what happened to that ministry? What happened? What happened? Halfway homes, halfway businesses, halfway marriages, halfway Christians who don't count the cost. What it means to actually go the distance. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's actually elevating us. He's not hating. He's saying, man, do you want to be a flesh in the pan? Do you want to be a vanilla ice? Or do you want to be someone who keeps hitting the record, who keeps hitting the hit, who keeps going, who keeps building? Anyone can start something. That's always my concern as a pastor is everybody has idea. Pastor, you know what we should do? No, we're, I don't know. Tell me. You know we're going to do this? It's like, are you, are you going to do it two years from now? Because you have an idea, but can you follow through? That's why some leaders don't bring me anything because they don't want to do it. I'm like, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Because you, you think you're just going to bring an idea up and then, you know what, be on the sideline like, Anybody can start something. Can you finish it? Right now, we're working on a really big project, something that I believe is going to be a game changer. We're getting ready to buy a house where we're going to house the homeless for 12 to 18 months. We're going to walk with them. We're going to teach them life, and we're going to help them get into a house. And the reason why we haven't gone fully live with it is because we're working on this 
behind the scenes to make sure this thing goes the distance. Because you don't want to start something for the homeless. And then a year later, they're like, what happened to that house? You want that house to be standing 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. So you have to work behind the scenes and, and say, do we have something solid here that's going to withstand the test of time? Because there's too many people who, can, who start things, but they can't finish. Right? What happened to being in something long term? See, this, this message is so challenging because it's hard to teach it. Some things are more caught than thought. It's hard to teach this stuff. You have to want it. And so I want to I end with give you five words that I believe is critical to anyone who's serious about going the distance. Anyone who wants to not just be here for today and gone tomorrow, but people who are like, man, I want to build for eternity. I'm not going to be done until Jesus calls me home. That, that's the kind of people I believe God wants to build. And I, I believe this is what it takes. I, I'm not saying this is all of it, but this is some of the stuff that I think are non-negotiables if you want to go the distance. You ready? Here's, here's the first word that comes to mind for me is the word passion. It's hard to teach passion. It's hard to teach people passion. I can lock these doors and keep you guys here all day, but I can't teach you passion. Till I blew in the face, I can try it, but I can't teach you passion. Passion is something that comes from the depths of your soul. In other words, when I'm in that crowd, if Jesus preaches that strong message, hey, man, you want to come after me, pick up your cross and follow me, there's something in me that responds to that and says, listen, I know I don't have what it takes, but I want this, and I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to come after you, Lord, and I'm not going to let anything get in the way of what you have for me. Or I can be in the crowd going, man, please, that's crazy. It all comes down to individuals, Right? Like, you have to be in a place, and this is so critical, especially nowadays, where it's so easy to be flaky, that I am marked by Jesus. That this is not a game, this is not a gimmick, this is not something that I go do to check my religious box. It's like, man, I've been marked by Jesus. One of the people that I love in the Bible is Jeremiah. Talking about passion. That man preached the gospel for 20 years, and it was a really hard time for him. The people didn't like him. They said, man, why don't you change your tune? Tell us something else. We don't want to hear about that. Jeremiah was depressed. He was lonely. He was hurting. He was struggling. But in the middle of all that, he says, God, your word is shut up in my bones. I can't deny it. Even if they deny it. I can't deny you. I'm for you. I'm yours. I'm your prophet. I am who you call me to be. That is passion, my friends. You can't teach that. That comes from the depths of your soul. That's why I love the first believers, man. They went through hell on earth to have the gospel. Arrested, beaten, left for dead, but couldn't leave Jesus. Because once you're marked by Jesus, where are you going to go? When Jesus preached this message in another time, you can look it up in the book of John, he preached the same type of message that was really strong. And he says, listen, if you really want to come after me, and he made it even more graphic, he says, listen, you got you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now they're like, ew. You're a vampire, Jesus? It's weird. And the Bible says people left. He turned to his disciples and says, what about you guys? You're thinking about leaving too, aren't you? You would too, wouldn't you? If you heard that message, you'd be like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I was with you until you said drink my blood. Like, I, 
But I love what Peter said when you're marked by Jesus. Peter said, where are we going to go? Like we've seen what the world has to offer and we know what you have to offer. It's a no-brainer for me. Where are you going to go? You have the word of life. So go ahead. Preach craziness, Jesus. I just know that I love you. I'm for you. You're for me. I'm not going anywhere. Hey, I love that about Peter. Peter was the outspoken out of the disciples, man. But Peter said the truth. He's like, where are we going to go? You ever thought about that? That's why Jesus is like, listen, if you don't count the cost, people are going to laugh at you. Imagine dropping out of the race now. How dumb will you look? You go back to your friends and are like, yo, what happened? What happened to you? You were all, you know, Jesus thing. What happened? I think about that. You know what of an idiot I would look to go back to my friend and be like, uh, didn't work out. <laughs> so what are we going to do now? Well, we're going to do what we always did. We're going to do that. I don't like that option. I, I stick with the man who says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, because that option, forget it, man. Like, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but, man, the world to me is boring. Like, that's boring. Like, man, tell me something innovative. Tell me something that's going to excite me and make me want to live. Because that's, that's the thing. I was talking to a kid this week, 15-year-old, you know, running the streets and all this. I'm like, you, you understand that? They're going to spit you out, bro. Like, sooner or later, they're going to say, I'm rather die. But the truth is, no one dies but you. And when it's all said and done, who's really going to be there for you? Your mom. The only one. Trust me. Something goes down, your mom is the only one that's going to be present. Why? Because the world lies. So these are hard to teach. It's hard to teach loyalty. How do you teach loyalty? Nowadays. It's embedded in your spirit. Loyalty is that tenacity in you that's like, I'm not easily moved. Like, it's going to take a lot to move me out of this marriage. It's going to take a lot to move me out of seeing my kids. It's going to take a lot to move me out of my church. You know, it's very hard to teach loyalty nowadays, my friends, because people are so fickle. You don't believe me? Go read your Bible again. When after this, Jesus goes to the cross, he comes to Jerusalem, and they throw a party, and they're like, Hosanna, blessed be the one who came in the name of the Lord. Oh, we worship you. And then he and then they goes to trial, and the same people go crucify him. <laughs> oh, I've been there. Pastor Mark was the man. And then Pastor Mark was not the man. <laughs> oh, hello, somebody. Can we get real in church this morning? <laughs> Speaking of church, man, American Christians, church hop like it's nobody's business. It's like, how are you ever going to put down roots if any time you get offended, you move somewhere else? How are you ever going to become a pillar in God's house if every time someone Shakes your foundation, you're a noodle, you're already ready to move on because you can't stand being put on the spot. But the reality is no one grows without accountability. No one grows without being offended a little bit. And I know there's time to move on. There's seasons to move on, and that's between you and the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times you have to question, was that a Holy Spirit move? Was that a flesh move? 
That's why I've never had one meeting with someone to say, hey, this is your church. I believe if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit should lead you to a church. Because if he leads you to a church, then he's going to lead you to withstand the trials and tribulations that comes with going to a church. And then you're going to stand in there. So my friends, loyalty, loyal to Jesus, loyal to my spouse, loyal to my kids, loyal to my church. It's hard to teach nowadays. I never forgot an interview Billy Graham did before he passed away a few years ago. He did 60 Minutes with his wife. Billy Graham, if you don't know him, Google it. Greatest evangelist that's ever lived. Married for over 50 years. And they asked him about his marriage. And they're like, man, you guys ever thought about divorce? And I never forgot what she said. She said, oh, let me answer that one. She's like, I thought about killing him many times, but we decided never to divorce. We never use that word. And I'm like, that is awesome. That's loyalty. We might kill each other, but we're not divorcing. <laughs> that is awesome. Hey, I love that. Not easily move. Number three is consistency. You don't go to distance without being consistent. The power of repetition is what makes us who we are. All of us are where we are in life right now because of repetition, for good or bad. The power of repetition is who we are today. And, and, and there's science to back this up, that your brain develops a pattern of what you feed it daily. There's groove patterns in your brain that you have created over the choices that you've made over and over again. Did you know that? For good or bad. Right? That's why people get addicted to things because they've created a group pattern that says, I need this thing. And so in order to overcome that, you have to rethink. And that's why the Bible says renew your mind so you'll be able to test and know what God's will is for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. But it's not going to happen until you renew your mind. And your mind needs to be renewed daily so he can actually have something to hold on to because your brain shows up every day and says, hey, what are we going to think about today? Did you know that? Like it's up to you to tell your brain, here's what we're going to focus on. Right? So imagine this, right? I was thinking about this this week. Imagine if we, as God's people, took three things seriously every day. Imagine if we, we decided, hey, I'm going to worship every day, I'm going to pray every day, and I'm going to get in the Word every day. Imagine what would happen to our spiritual psyche and our well-being over time. Because here's the thing. A lot of times we are just showing up on Sunday hoping that all those things are going to happen all at once. But the truth is it is a sum of your repetition. Sunday should be a continuation of what you've been doing all week long, worshiping and praying and going in the Word. That when you get to Sunday, now let me preach here for a second. When you get to Sunday, it should actually be a confirmation of what the Spirit has been teaching you. It wouldn't be hard to receive a hard word like this because all week long, the Holy Spirit has been telling you, you got to deny yourself, you got to take up your cross, and you got to follow me. And then the preacher echoes that, and your soul says, yes, that's what I've been on all week long. I've been seeking you, I've been worshiping you, and now you're just telling me, you're confirming my soul. So I'm not offended. Actually, thank you for denying myself. Thank you for aligning me. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for molding me. Thank you for correcting me. Thank you for leading me. And thank you for a church who is in tune with your spirit. Imagine. Imagine what would happen. We would be coming up to me and go, Pastor, you're just confirming some things in me. Pastor, you're not offending me. You're elevating me. 
Because all week the Spirit has been dealing with me about this stuff. Because it's hard if we just do Sunday to Sunday. It's always pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. How about, no, elevate me. I'm already here. Just elevate me and elevate me. Consistency, my friends. That's why they say practice makes perfect. That's why football teams are starting now. And what you're going to see in the fall is a result of what they've done during preseason. Right? That's why it's no coincidence when certain players always perform. Because they've been doing it. They've been doing it. That's what you hear from all the greats. They're like, man, I've been doing that behind the scenes. You just see it in the light now. That's why we love people like MJ and Kobe and, and Brady, because they're doing it already. Repeating over and over again. I show up daily. And here's the thing. No one can make me do it. That's why you can't teach this. No one can make you show up to your marriage. No one can make you show up to your kids. No one can make you show up to your ministry. No one can make you. It's something that you decide. That's why Jesus is very strong about it. He's like, man, because I, I don't want to be babysitting you guys, so are you, are you all in? Because you're going to have to take ownership for being consistent. The next one, this is a tough one to teach, but you got to have grit. I, it's hard. This one, man, I wrestled with him like, man, okay, God, how do we explain grit? How do you explain something that is like in you? But to me, grit is like that holy stubbornness. I got a, there's a dog in me. That's the only way I can think about it. Like, there's a dog in me that just fights. Like, I just, I just won't give up. Like, I really believe that God's people ought to have a fight in us. Like, man, I am fighting for this. That's why I don't believe in showing up to church and just expect, and I'm fighting for something. Man, Abraham, I love Jacob. He's one of my favorite dudes. I say this all the time. They're all my favorites. But I love Jacob. Jacob didn't understand fully God's plan for him yet. But when he had a moment with God, he's like, man, I am not leaving until you bless me. I'm going to fight you for this blessing. I'm going to, listen, whatever it takes, God, I'm not leaving. You show me too much. And I pray we have that in us, that tenacity, like that fight, that dog. Like, ah, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving my church. I'm not leaving my marriage. I'm not leaving my kids. I'm not leaving. People forget that when you're a pastor, man, you are exposed to everything. If there's people who should be leaving, it's the pastors. Every Monday I want to quit. But every Monday night I'm like, God, here we go again. Back in the saddle. Strap the armor on. We got to fight. We got to fight. And we got to fight. I'm telling you. We know too much, but we know you don't change anything from the outside looking in. Jesus knew the mess he was coming into the world, but he had a fight in him. Which, by the way, a lot of times you had a fight when you were in the world, and then you stopped fighting. In the world, we're like easy, offended. We throw hands. I believe you get saved to throw hands against the devil, to throw hands against the lies and the seeds of the enemy. I was playing soccer with some dudes, and this guy, we started well, you know, we're having a good time, but we started beating them. You started to get a little physical, and, and now he wants to fight. I'm like, bro, time out. I'm 42, bro. Like, this ain't the fight I came for. 
I got to go home healthy because I got kids to take care of. I got a wife to take care of. I got a church I got to run. Listen, listen, don't be 40 years old. You're still thinking you're in junior high. That's the wrong battle. Go home. Fight for your family. Fight for your kids. Fight for your marriage. I was telling this kid, I'm like, have you ever noticed the OGs in the blocks? Don't they look ridiculous? 40, 50-year-olds still talking about, yo, young blood, young blood. It's like, yo, you never got past 85. 1985 is still in your head. Move on. Life moved on. Life moved on. <laughs> that is, what's up, OG? It's like, yo, whoa, you, you're an OG. You are an OG. Move on. But I believe, man, you got to know how to hustle. I think hustle is not a negative thing. Because life requires hustle. There's a scripture that messes with me. It just really messes with me. Jesus said, he said, it seems to me that the sons of the world are smarter than the sons of God. I hate that. Because he's saying that, man, maybe we're not hustling like the world is. Which, which is crazy because faith without works is dead. In other words, faith without hustling is nothing. So when we sing, you're the God of miracles, you're the God of breakthrough, well, you better walk like you believe that God is the God of miracles and breakthrough. It's not just wishful thinking. Well, I think you can. But it's like, man, my faith says it, and then my, my legs follows to what I believe that God can do, and that God is faithful to do it. And then last one is, is long-suffering, playing the long game. Everybody's into instant gratification. But you got to play the long game. If you notice, in the fruits of the Spirit, the last thing to be mentioned is what binds everything together. The fruits of the Spirit, in Galatians, says it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? Self-control is another word for long-suffering, for perseverance. Because think about it. The reason why self-control is, is, is last is because it's what binds everything together. Go back to the beginning. The first one is love. Without self-control, you'll confuse love for lust. The second one is joy. Without self-control, you confuse joy for happiness. You're always waiting for something to happen to be happy as opposed to have the joy of the Lord, which is just strength. Without self-control, peace turns into chaos. Without self-control, patience turns into impatience. Without self-control, you're not meek, you're rude. So think about it. That's the duct tape of the soul. Because we need duct tape for anything. Self-control is the duct tape that keeps everything together. But you got to play the long game. I watched a really great documentary yesterday. I love documentaries, by the way. If you want to watch something that edifying, watch documentaries. Watch one on Amazon yesterday. Jeff Bezos, richest man in the world right now. He's got more money than, it doesn't even make sense. It's just that kind of money. But what I love about the documentary was about 25 years ago, he had the idea for Amazon. He had this vision of where he could go. And he wrote a letter, he wrote a memo to shareholders, and he said, hey, are you willing to play the long game with me? He said, for 20 years, we're not going to make any money. But if you play the long game, watch what we're going to do. Imagine if you and I had bought stocks in Amazon 
20 years ago. Imagine we had the, the hindsight, the vision that he had. Because those who sign on, <laughs> they're all millionaires now. Because they play the long game. I don't care how you feel about Amazon, whether you like it or don't like it. I don't care less. But the lesson of the long game is so powerful there. That he saw it. He's like, he wrote it down. Hey, we we're not going to make any money, but hang in there. Watch what we're going to do 20 years from now. My friends, that to me is the heart of God. Where Jesus says, hey, if you can renounce things right now, watch where I'm going to take you. Watch what I'm going to take. People come to church, they don't realize that, man, don't you understand? Whatever you want in life is on the other side of the long game. And if you come, and you come periodically, and you come occasionally, you're going to get occasional stuff. But if you come and you devote yourself to him, because the first thing God has to do, yeah, this is why it takes time. God has to undo all the messes that we've done. And it doesn't happen overnight, man. That happens over time. So, so listen, if you're serious about Jesus, this is a long game. It's a long obedience in the same direction. We've baptized over 500 people. Sometimes I sit and I go, where are they? Are they? they didn't play the long game. I have the same prayer every time we do Celebration Sunday. I sit there and I go, God, help them understand that the moment they got baptized, they just told the devil, it's on. And can you withstand the trial that comes after it? Because Jesus got baptized, what happened immediately? He was led into the desert to be tempted to say, hey, let's see if you truly believe what you say you believe. And people don't realize they're in a temptation, they're in a trial, and that the enemy win. My friends, it's time we play the long game and say, God, I'm not going anywhere. Because I don't think you're going to see the fruits of God's will for you unless you stick around. You're not going to see what your marriage is made up unless you stick around. Matter of fact, I always tell the young couples this. It's through the battles that you know what kind of marriage you have. Your marriage has to be battle tested. If you don't show up in your kids' lives, you're leaving a big gap. You've got to play the long game with them. And if you're in, into instant gratification with parenting, good luck. <laughs> you better be prophesying over yourself, I'm going to see the fruits of this thing 10 years from now. You know, you knucklehead, I'm going to see the fruits of this thing 10 years from now. When I was a youth pastor, man, I'm telling you, I used to tell myself that all the time. Listen, just go and preach your heart out because they don't look at you like they're in a coma. You ever done youth ministry? And then they come up to you. Oh, man, I needed that. You needed that? You look like you were in a coma. You look like you were dying right in front of me. He's about to call the ambulance. But you know what? I'm in the place in my life now that I'm seeing those kids who were 14, 15, getting married, having ministries, doing life. Listen, going to another level. Why? Because you got to stay in it for the long game. So, my friends, are you a follower or a pretender? Are you willing to count the cost? Are you willing to submit your life to Jesus? Not just follow a crowd. That's what it comes down to. I believe Jesus is trying to elevate us, make us eagles. The Bible says in Isaiah, it says, 
He says that you will mount up like eagles. You can soar above. Whatever's going on, you can still soar above. You see, peace in God is not the absence of conflict. It's not. It's knowing who is in charge of the wind. Could you stand with me as we pray this morning? No one can make you do this. It's a willing decision. It's a willing desire. To say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't even know what's coming. I just know that I can surrender to you. And you'll take it from there. I don't want to just be a face in the crowd, Jesus. I want to be one of your students. One of your apprentices. Take me to school. Take me to life school. I want my marriage to go the distance. I want ministry to go the distance. I want my kids to go the distance. I'm going to invest. So I want to pray today that we are making a commitment to Jesus. But just know this. The prayer is just the beginning. The prayer is the surrender. It's the submission. And the Holy Spirit will teach you and lead you and guide you and empower you. So in person and online, I want to say this prayer. If that's you, you're like, man, I want to surrender. Would you pray this with me? Pray it from your heart. Pray it because you feel the urge to draw near to God. Would you say, Jesus, I heard the message loud and clear. I'm ready to surrender. I know freedom comes through self-denial. And I'm here to surrender my life to you. I'm here to put it all under your will. I thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. And now I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to walk with you. I want to live in the fullness of your will. Jesus, I'm not only surrendering my life. I'm surrendering my relationships. I'm surrendering my children for those who have. I'm surrendering my business. I'm surrendering all to you. Pray that your will will be done. Take me on the journey all the way to eternity, Lord. I don't want to be a flesh in a pan. I want to go all the way. I want to go to distance. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.